That's the only way that I know to really verify a product market fit. Everyone needs to have a simple business model, but particularly early stage companies. Welcome to McKinsey Israel on High Tech, featuring discussions on technology, business and management. This podcast is brought to you by McKinsey Israel Tech Hub, where we help tech companies and startups realize their full potential. Hi, everyone. I'm Peleg DeCalo, a consultant in McKinsey Israel, and starting now, also the host of our new podcast, McKinsey Israel on High Tech. In this first two-part episode, I had the pleasure to sit down with our first guests, Yoel Barel and Jay Jubas. Yoel is one of the founders and now chairman of Trax, who also mentors and advises multiple startups and tech companies. And Jay is a McKinsey senior partner based in Israel, who is the co-leader of Fuel by McKinsey, our global division that helps startups and investors accelerate growth. Together, we try to solve the puzzle of forming, scaling, and exiting a tech startup. In this first part, we overcame the challenges involved with the beginning of the startup journey, such as conducting a product market fit validation, forming a forward-looking multi-pronged strategy, and fundraising to execute it. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. It's a pleasure having both of you here. It really is, gentlemen. And why won't we start from a quick introduction? Uh, Joel, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Joel uh, Barrel, uh, the C- former CEO. <laughs> we just spoke about it. The executive chairman uh, at Trax, formerly the CEO and still the founder, one of the founders. Beautiful. And outside of Trax, you also provide entrepreneurs with guidance and mentorship. You mind telling us about that? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm uh, helping multiple, uh, I would say, startups in the early stages that uh, are like uh, to get some guidance and some mentorship. They come to me and I'm doing it uh, very happily um, and I'm not charging anything for it, by the way. I'm, I'm just doing it because I enjoy it. Um, and, and I just love to see those companies, you know, succeed and grow and, you know, touch wood. So far, everybody that I touched are uh, still growing and uh, <laughs> succeeding. Jay? Your turn. My name is Jay Jubis, and I am the co-leader of Fuel by McKinsey, which is McKinsey's division that works with startups. Our, our mission is to help startups scale much faster than they would by themselves by injecting the kind of fuel that McKinsey can bring to it. Great. So today we want to speak about entrepreneurship and the challenges involved with entrepreneurship. And I figured that the best way that we'll do it will be by practice. So we're going to found a company, we're going to scale it, we're going to make it grow, and hopefully we're going to exit in the end of this session. I know that it sounds challenging, but we make the rules, so it will happen. That's even faster than gorillas. <laughs> exactly. We should 
exit at the end for sure <laughs> yeah and we we will speak about that about our exit strategy let's start from the inception and you'll let me refer to you we have a solution we founded a company we have a product it means that we have an initial hypothesis about our product about the market about the demand for our product for our solution how would we verify those assumptions that we have yeah i think the one word you didn't mention in everything we have is a problem or a pain and i think every startup should start there you never want to be in a place where you have a solution looking for a problem you're much better to have a problem and then look for a solution i think that's kind of the, the first step to really find a business pain Uh, that is hurting enough for people to pay to solve it and then verify that your solution and your product and everything you think you have built is actually can solve that pain for paying clients and it sounds like something that you come across a lot i actually i just came to this uh, podcast recording from exactly the same uh, meeting where uh, i was presented with a solution and we try to find what is the problem <laughs> So you, your advice is to start from the problem, from the pain point. Yes, first and foremost. So we have the problem, okay? We started there and we have a solution for it. How do we verify our assumptions? How do we see if what we have as a solution is actually needed in the market? It was just a few days ago, I think. It was the, the Memorial Day for 9-11. And in 9-11, I don't know if you know, there are three Israelis that were killed. One of them was Haggai Shefi, who was the CEO at Sangard. And uh, I was managing director. He was my, my mentor at the time. And that was 20 years ago, more than that. And he taught me only one sentence that I remember. People tell you a lot of things as mentors. But at the end of the day, you remember probably one. And he told me, money talks, bullshit walks, uh, which is a great sentence if you think about it in many perspectives. Uh, and it applies to your question. That's the only way that I know to really verify a product market fit. You need to find somebody who is willing to pay for it. If somebody pays for it, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It doesn't have to be tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if somebody pays real money for it, it means that there is a pain that is lucrative enough for them to pay for. And that's the test that you should do. Even in my experience, because I've seen many, many business plans from early stage uh, companies and those, and I agree 100% with Yoel, the, the ones that are most successful are the ones that describe a problem in a quantified sense. They can say that the problem is this big. For a Fortune 500 company, they typically spend X hundreds of millions, tens of millions, single digit millions, whatever it is, struggling with this And this is the problem I'm trying, I'm trying to address. And if they can articulate it in a quantified way, then it's much easier to then go back and try to say, how much is it worth to the, to the company to solve? And therefore, how might I price my solution? And then you can test the thesis by seeing whether you are getting that kind of traction. You can get that kind of price that is relevant for the magnitude of the problem that's being solved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, at the beginning, a small company only with an idea, doesn't have to be a check written on their name. It's enough to get a memorandum of understanding, non-binding, LOI, even a, an email to say, hey, if you solve that problem, I'm willing to pay you X amount because that is what is worth for me. That is a good enough validation to know there is real substance behind it.
So I'm happy to tell you, gentlemen, that our product is succeeding and it's receiving initial traction. People are willing to spend money on it and we are able to prove it. Now, how do we form a strategy to penetrate the market? From my experience, there is not one strategy. There is different strategies. You have product strategy, you have corporate strategy, you have a market positioning, you have business model, which has its own strategy. So there are different uh, angles to look at. I think that from an overall perspective, I would say one of the most critical points is the business model. What is the way to quantify the the problem you're solving in order to maximize uh, the, the revenues that you receive from your clients and to make sure that the business model resonates well with what public markets conceived as the best value for your corporate. Today, uh, it's all about SaaS, but in history, it wasn't like that. And maybe in the future, it'll be different. So uh, building a business model that is aligned with clients' interest and also with market perception, I think is key because as you scale and grow, it's very difficult to change the model itself. Once you set a price point, once you set a way by which you are monetizing your product in the market, it's very difficult to change it because the market already kind of cement itself over that kind of a model. So I would look at that as the first strategy problem to tackle. The only thing I might add to that, and I 100% agree, is it's got to be simple. Particularly, it's really everyone needs to have a simple business model, but particularly early stage companies. A startup needs to be able to articulate its solution very, very clearly, describe the value it's going to create, and have a pricing model which is easy to understand. And that's really the foundation of the business model to, to a large extent. And if it's not simple, they, they, they just won't get any traction. So simplicity um, is, is key. Yeah. The, the other strategy I would look at is the go-to-market. What is the channels for which you are kind of trying to access your target clients? And this is somewhere where you, should, you can fail. Uh, I wouldn't encourage you to fail, but it's not the end of the world to try one go-to-market strategy. If it fails, go to another, etc. And then it depends on the product, depends on the target clients, whether you work via distributors, direct sales, uh, whether you do it online or with physical presence. But there are many go-to-market uh, strategies, but that's, I would say, the second thing after the business model. And Jay, you both mentioned pricing. And as you all said, once you set a price point, it is difficult to change it since your target audience has gotten used to it. So formulating a pricing plan is a tricky task and it's a challenge that we help our clients with. Do you mind telling us how this magic happens? What is the research that we apply to help our clients in forming the optimal pricing plan? Sure. Let me start by describing when we say pricing, it's more than what we charge. It's also how we charge. It's how we package the various elements of our offering into an offering to a customer. So we may have an offering that has many, many different pieces of functionality. The first step to some extent is to understand what are the different ways I can package those elements of that offering in a way that would make sense to a customer, in a way that customer will immediately get, here's my basic offering, here's the more advanced offering, I see the incremental value of going from one to the other. So we have to start with some notion of how do I package the different elements of my offering in a way that will make sense to a customer and in a way that I can, a salesperson can easily articulate what the differences are between various elements of that offering. Then one has to come up with a structure for, for that, uh, meaning what is the metric that's going to determine how 
the price is going to be set? Is it going to be, be if it's software, is it going to be based on the number of users? Is it going to be based on some other metric? So choosing the metric that aligns with the value that it's going to create for the customer is also a very, very important part of it. And then it's the, the level that you're going to have. So it's packaging, it's structure, and it's level. And really, there is no secret to doing it well other than having a deep understanding of your customer. So the more you speak to customers, and it's got to be many, many customers because customers uh, differ in how they like to buy and what they're, you know, how they articulate needs, how they perceive benefits, the better you will do in coming up with the right answer or the optimal answer for these various dimensions of pricing. So we encourage companies uh, to spend time speaking to customers, understand customers, understand what they perceive the benefits to be, what they are willing to pay, what their other alternatives are, how they like to pay, what kind of pressures they might have in terms of speed to you know earn a return on that investment, a number of things that they really need to understand from customers before they can really align on an optimal pricing model. Speak with customers and perhaps perform some deep dives into the company's data and apply the right analytics to extract relevant insight. Absolutely. I mean, so if it's early stage, there tends to not be a lot of data to mine, but as they mature, absolutely. And those are the corrections that can be made with, with customer, and data is another form of customer input, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, I would add to that that also it's good that your pricing will align with the budgetary structure of your clients. Uh, I can give you an example in trucks. Our cost was really about processing images. So at the beginning, we charged per image, but clients did not know how to, to eat that. I mean, how could I put in my budget number of images? How do that resonate to my business? And then we asked them, okay, but what is your business and structure in terms of budgetary? And they say, hey, we have one of our budget items is how much it costs us to do a store visit because they f- visit those physical stores in a normal cadence. And we said, fine, we will charge you per store visit and you can add that cost into your store visit cost and we can show you how you we save money on your store visit cost and how we increment the value of your uh, store visit uh, performance so that immediately aligned and it was you know easy to go to the next step it's a beautiful example about this structure point the metric you choose to base your pricing on needs to align with the customer's value not with your own cost structure that's a perfect example. And you only learn that by talking to customers. Exactly. Okay, so we talked about strategy. We have it all figured out. Now, We're doing well. Now, now, <laughs> now, now we need some funds, don't you think? We need funds to grow. Uh, yeah. Invest in growth. Yeah, so, okay, I want to be CEO. Can I be CEO? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you so much. We have no ego in our company. <laughs> okay, so, Joel. From your experience, I need guidance before I go to the angels to maybe if it's earlier, friends and family, maybe if it's later than micro VCs, VCs. Give me some guidance, please. I can give you a few pointers. Uh, Obviously, I can elaborate and talk about it. This is a a lot of the things I'm I'm doing every day uh, in advising small startups and other bigger companies. I would say the first word that I would tell you as a CEO is dilution, maybe not just as your hat as a CEO, also as a founder of this uh, company we just created, just forget about dilution. Just think about what is best for your company, not what is best for you. Normally, what is best for your company eventually will also be good for you. And I'm saying that because uh, I saw a few companies that are going to raise debt rather than equity in terms of uh, raising funds. Some of them benefited from that to some extent. Uh, I saw many others that just bankrupt because 
at the beginning, very difficult for a company to predict revenue streams, to predict number of clients, to predict any financial metrics. And then the lenders, uh, often than not, if they see their debt is at risk, immediately pull the plug and, and the company dies. So that's one thing. The second thing I would tell you to focus very much on the presentation, that it should not include more than 10 slides. And it's not just a technical thing. You need the investors that you are going to meet are very short in their time span and attention span. You need to come across with the message what you want to show within three to five minutes max. And probably within the first minute, what is the value proposition? What you're trying to solve in this world? So by concising the presentation, you're actually working your brain how to articulate the message in a very concise manner. Lots of pictures, very little words in this presentation. The one word that I'm always telling people to think about is narrative. You need to convey a narrative. Nobody remembers numbers. No, nobody remembers facts unless you're a good, great copywriter. They probably won't remember your company name or your name. But they will remember the narrative. You are doing X. You are doing Y. That narrative will stick. And if the narrative makes sense, the whole investment thesis makes sense. And when you think about the narrative... The narrative should answer one question and one question only. It's a very difficult question to answer. But once you answer it, the whole thing of approaching investors to raise funds will be easier. And the one question is, what is my company doing better for this world? How do I make the world a better place? That is the narrative. This is how the presentation will be built. What's the situation in the world now? How do I solve it? How do I make the world a better place? That is three slides. Mm -hmm. You can sell anything. And that's kind of my recommendation. Mm -hmm. Jay, what Yoel mentioned as narrative, we oftentimes call in McKinsey storytelling. And we all know how storytelling is important, not just in that business problem of getting funds from a VC or a PE or whatever the entity may be. Storytelling is important in every business problem that you have. So why won't we speak about that with our binoculars uh, aimed at funding rounds. Sure. Well, I mean, you all captured the essence of it, which is people have a tendency to make their their stories too complicated. And I, I liked very much his reduction to three slides. It should be a very simple, the story needs to be clear. People do not have a big attention span. They see lots and lots of decks. The story needs to grab them exactly as you all said in the first few minutes. So the hardest thing I've ever done, even in a competitive proposal, is when I was told your pitch can only have one page because everyone can write a long document with lots of data and lots of analysis. It's very easy to do. The hard part is to reduce a problem and a solution and a story to its essence and communicate it all in one page, one page, two pages. And that takes a lot of work and that takes a lot of thought and road testing. That's a very iterative process. Absolutely. I imagine you all have seen many cases where the same pitch gets refined and refined. The first investor who sees the pitch sees something quite different than the last investor, right? The people get better with rehearsing and getting feedback from investors, and that pitch needs to evolve. So to sum up, in each and every iteration, we should try to clean up our story from superfluous complexities and basically make sure that the narrative is simple and understandable. Reduce the narrative to its most simplest elements, the problem, the solution, the enthusiasm, the team that's going to be successful. I mean, those are the core elements of a story. 
And if you can communicate that in the first three to five minutes, you have a chance. If it takes you much too long to communicate it, you've got a problem. I was speaking yesterday with a company, I don't want to mention the name, and they described themselves as a little bit of snowflake and a little bit of this company and a little bit of that company. And I told the guy, I said, this is not an investable story. It is way too complicated. It was a relatively early stage company, kind of like ours, a few million dollars ARR. And yet they had elements of three very, very different business models. It was too complicated a story. And maybe they have the technology to deliver on all those things. But my, my instinct in this case was, don't even talk about all these things. Find the, the simplest articulation of what you do. It may not be 100% of what you do. And bet your story on that simple articulation. And over time, you can expand on it. But I think people have an urge because they've got their brilliant people. They have a lot of ideas. They want to communicate all of it. And that's, a, that's an instinct that needs to be challenged. Simple, simple, simple. You've got a solution to a big problem and your solution is unique and you're the people, you know, you are the person who's going to deliver it make it happen. It's funny and counterintuitive how to make things simple is way harder than to show a complex theory or story, but we see it every day. And I'm sure that you see it every day as well, Yoel. Yeah, of course. I was a physicist in, uh, in graduate school. I have a PhD in physics. And I remember I, I gave a talk once and a guy said to me, this was the first talk I understood. And because the culture was, if other people can understand your talk, you're probably not that smart. And that was the mindset. And I wasn't that smart. So I had to make my talk, my, it was very easy to make my, my talk very clear. But that's when it dawned on me that, you know, people think you know, their ego was invested in showing how smart they are and how, how nuanced they are. And that doesn't work with yeah. an audience. Yeah, you know, Einstein was, uh, used to say that uh, if you can't articulate something in two or three simple sentences, probably you don't understand it. Yeah, that's, that's a great saying by Einstein. He had some great things. Yeah. And yeah. Einstein's papers, I've read many of his papers. They're short papers. Brilliant. Very short. I wonder if he could have succeeded as an entrepreneur. Well, there are other characteristics that are required <laughs> yeah, of entrepreneurs. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah that, that's for the next episode. One last thing. We finalized our deal with our investors and they just became shareholders in our company. Now, what should we expect from our relationship with them? I think that you make few choices in life, right? You choose your life partner, and that is a very kind of articulative, right? A very big decision we make. We go to dates and we examine and we go along together before we choose uh, who to go to bed with. And then after that, you choose your founders, right? The partners into the startups. I think investors is no different. Yes, you have less dating time and less face time, but you need to choose them very carefully. I would encourage people not to be shy and not to think uh, bad of themselves if they do due diligence over their investors and call other companies they invested at and ask how did they behave, not when everything goes well. You need the investors only when things go bad. If everything goes well, who cares who is the investors? The investors will praise you, will you know, do parties, and everything will be fine. If something goes wrong, then you want to meet your investors, and then you want to know how do they behave. Do they take you to litigation, or do they support you emotionally and financially to come across the problem? So I think choosing the investors, that's the main thing. If you chose them correctly, Later on, they will be partners and true contributors to your success. Great to see you crossing the finish line of this first part. In the next episode, we're picking up the pace and starting to chase substantial scale and growth for our startup. After achieving that desired growth, we'll discuss why, when, and how should we exit. See you in the second part of this episode.
Thank you for listening to McKinsey Israel on High Tech. Subscribe to our podcast and feel free to contact us at israelpodcast at mckinsey.com to share your thoughts, comments, and suggestions.